Digital 410 proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your host, Don Abernathy, Jeff Kopsetta, and Henry Sledge. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast. And tonight, we're getting back to the roots. We're going all the way back to 20, I don't know, six, no, 2018 when I started this podcast. It's just me and some lovely, wonderful living historians and people with passion for the project of World War II and keeping the memory alive. Jeff is out. Henry's working on his book. You guys know the deal. But real quick, I know Henry's been gone for a while, and you guys are wondering where he's at. A little inside football for you. I've been working on a video diligently for almost two weeks now. We sat down because we know that the Pacific and the Band of Brothers is streaming and blowing up on Netflix. We're hoping that brings a new generation of young cats who's interested in the hobby of World War II, and more importantly, the history of one Eugene Sledge. And so we thought better, why not, to do our very first YouTube reaction video on Henry Sledge reaction to HBO's The Pacific. And so as what's the scuttlebutt listeners, you guys have heard a lot of these stories, and so we made the video to focus on hopefully new cats who are searching Google to try to find everything they can about the Pacific. And so you'll hear the stories about how the show came to be, how Henry's family provided details, and how some of it didn't make it to the show. But anyhow, if you're a fan of the HBO's miniseries, The Pacific, and you want to hear Henry's full-blown, unedited thoughts, critiques, and passion for the series and how they portrayed his father, you'll want to tune in. Hopefully that'll be out sometime next week. But enough of the plugs. Let's introduce our guest. Joining us, you know, it's funny, the wonderful world of Facebook. We've been Facebook friends for quite some time, but never so much as sent each other a message. He's a living historian. His wife is into the project as well into the passion they have a wonderful wonderful company i guess you would say victory productions where not only do they participate in living history but they take fantastic photos to help keep it alive joining us now is joe and patrice bemis how y'all doing tonight good how are you doing great thanks for having us on thanks for being on real quick you guys are north carolina right we are yep did that We're storm right. impact you guys at all? The one that just passed, what, a couple weeks ago? We had a little bit of wind, but that was about it. Only reason I ask is because I watch a YouTube channel called Cars and Cameras where these guys re rebuild old trikes and dirt bikes from the 70s and 80s, and one of them lives in North Carolina on the coast, and like his whole property flooded. So I didn't know how bad it was. I figured I'd ask you guys since you were there. And being in Florida and someone who just lived through my sixth hurricane, I just want to make sure you guys... Came out all right. Yep. Yeah. We're pretty far north, so that didn't really affect us much. Great news. So I want to start in the beginning, really. Joe, give us a brief history of you, how you got into the the field of uh, World War II and, more importantly, living history, and then we'll ask the same of Patrice, and then we'll, we'll talk about the development of your photography company, and we'll go from there. All right. Right on. Um well, uh, I went to school in, in, uh, in Ashboro uh, at RCC. I uh, got my degree in commercial photography there. And um, right, after, right out of school, I started working at a studio in Greensboro. And while I was working at that studio, uh, I developed uh, Victory, I guess. It just started off as just getting a bunch of people together with artistic talents and just producing things, you know, uh, mostly uh, photo series and, you know, just art. And uh, 
then I started getting into the pinup and started just, you know, focusing on that. And at that time, pinup was really big and uh, I wanted a, a unique look. So I started making all my pinups look like Varga and Petty and, you know, like drawings. Sure. And uh, then that led into uh, discovering uh, pinup nose art. Yep. And really getting into that. And at the time, my brother, Robert Bemis, he just started um, doing uh, Revolutionary War reenacting. And uh, I started going to events with him and photographing and discovered two of my main passions, history and photography. Uh, could just I could just, you know, combine them both. And so that's how I was introduced to the community and through just going to event after event and taking photos and, you know, just getting to know everybody. It just kind of blossomed from there. You know, that's interesting because most guests I have on here, it's, you know, which one came first, the chicken or the egg? Usually World War II comes first and then they figure out a way to work their photography passion into it. But it seems like for you, photography came first and then through the travels of, as you said, the pinup and then your brother that you found World War II through photography and looking for subject matters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and World War II has always been a passion, you know, even from a little kid growing up, you know, watching war movies with my grandfather, you know, like Eagles Dare and, yep. you know, <laughs> the Eagle has landed, Force 10, Navarone, all that stuff. And uh, it just it's always been there. I've always had this passion for World War Two. You know, it's even crazy. Like uh, my brother was born on uh, September 1st and Germany invaded Poland September 1st, 1939. And I was born on August 14th, uh, 1978. And the war was over. I mean, that was VJ Day. See, and we're if, both six years apart, and all of our family's been military, and it's just it's it's just always been there. See, if your mom yeah. would have put forth the extra effort, squeeze you out on the seventh, you could have been born on the D Day of Guadalcanal, August seventh, nineteen forty two. But no, you just missed it by seven days. Patrice, how <laughs> did, how did all this come into your life? Well, Joe and I met years ago um, through some mutual friends, and we both had gone to school for photography. I went to SCAD down in Savannah, Georgia. And um, again, it was kind of like a family connection. My dad used to take us to the Revolutionary War um, site, like at Guilford in North Carolina, which was always a big reenactment. Family connection. My dad used to take us to the Revolutionary War um, site like at Guilford in North Carolina, which was always a big reenactment. And um, my mom and my dad are both in the arts um, and they both had a passion for photography. And I grew up with some friends that my mom worked at a newspaper in Charlotte. Um, and they kind of turned me on to the dark room and all the photography and everything. So when Joe and I talked about our passion for photography, um, the history of it and kind of going back to, you know, the kind of analog sense where everything is manual and you have to just, you're shooting on raw film and you have this grain and this really cool aspect. Um, it seemed to really lend to the reenactments because that was what these people were doing in real life. And so we were capturing those images on camera and on, and a lot of times on period, correct cameras nice. um so 
it was just it was just easy. It was just kind of like an easy combination of the two. Now Joe's really the history buff. Um, I I don't know a whole lot of the history, although I'm like constantly learning at all the reenactments that we go to and all the research and everything that Joe does and that I do for some of the events that um, you know I participate in. But it's really just been about capturing these images in the most unique but authentic way. Okay, Joe, I hate to do this. I'm going to push you to the corner because we have always have dudes on the show. Uh, we very rarely have females on here to do living history. Being a female who grew up with a father who's interested in the hobby, going to those events, what was that like for you, you know, as maybe your contemporaries were doing elsewhere? I mean, it sounds like you guys were roughly my age, so they're more interested in the things that were going on when we were growing up. And here you were going to some hot field, watching a bunch of guys in wool and, and shooting black powder rifles, pretending to be dead in the hot North Carolina sun. How was that growing up? Well, I mean, growing up, I'm not sure I was exposed to it very much. Um, if there was something local, then that was when we would go and kind of experience it. Because not only was it like a learning experience, but it also helped us kind of just get creative. Sure. Um, I'd say now I'm just like my excitement for going and seeing how everyone um, portrays their own um, passions in the hobby is just grown tenfold. Like meeting everyone that we know through all the groups that we go and do events with. Um, I mean, I just researching the, the female aspect also has just made it so incredibly enlightening and, and like my curiosity is sparked. And then when I find a new, really, you know, awesome chick, that's just done some really awesome stuff. I just can't help, but feel like, I want to connect to that in some way. So um, I'd say, I mean, I kind of wish I was exposed a little bit more as a child. I think that I would have probably gotten that passion like Joe did um, at a young age, but I'm really happy that we met and we, we got into this hobby and met so many awesome people and that our, like we're just expanding our knowledge tenfold, like every day that we're around these people. And it's very important for you to be part of this hobby because I'm probably, I would assume maybe you felt the same way when you first started learning. Oh, okay. Female role in world war two. Let me guess. I can be Rosie the riveter or a nurse, but then you start finding out all of the different things that women contributed to the war effort and all the different topics that you could set up displays on. You can create impressions on. Were you surprised at all about maybe not surprised so much of the amount of contribution that women made, but maybe the lack of coverage of those contributions in pop culture? Oh, definitely. I mean, but coming from a somewhat um, open-minded background with my family, I mean, I think that we always knew that there was probably not as much exposure for women um, in history, but Yes, like every day that I research another woman that's done something in a different role, I mean, it's just amazing to find all of these different stories. And like, I can just expand all of my kits, all of my, um, you know, impressions. I mean, we joined the, a British group, actually. And now I get to be a, a dispatch rider and ride motorcycles around and do all sorts of other stuff. So, I mean, the, there's really a lot out there in the World War II scene that can involve women and it's not just, you know, some plain Jane kind of aspect. So 
Well, we're going to talk more about it later on the podcast, but as I was opening the show, I was hinting about how there's hopes, at least for me, uh, that the new revitalization of Band of Brothers in the Pacific, because when those shows aired originally, they brought a lot of interest in the community, a lot of interest in World War II, and brought along a lot of younger cats into the hobby. But maybe we'll see something similar with females when Kate Winslet's new movie comes out about Lee Miller, the movie Lee, about the... Um, you know, the photographer during the war. And it'd be interesting to see if we notice an influx of young girls and women coming to events because maybe they saw this movie and like, oh, wow, as I was saying before, we did have more contribution than just X and Y. And it'll be interesting to see if that helps lead to um, an influx in female participation or just visiting living history events. I would hope so. I mean, I would hope that um, anyone that was interested in the history would just come out and at least try to experience it um, I actually have my first impression was based off of Lee Miller just because of the photography connection. Um, you know, I'm excited to see this movie that's coming out just to see, you know, how well they really um, express like everything that she did, which was just so captivating in and itself. So, um, I mean, you really just need to look back at the roles that the women played and I can guarantee that you're going to find something that's, that's going to be very um, impressive and just kind of excite, exciting. So I, I hope that more women come out. I got to ask you too. Um, I'm sitting in a room. I'm currently staring at one, two, three, four, five, six M1 helmets. Do either one of you have a T14? <laughs> For years, Joe's been trying to build one. Really? <laughs> he's, he's kind of collected some shells so that we can maybe uh, cut them up and weld them back together. So. For those of you playing along at home who don't know what a T-14 helmet is, think of an M1 helmet where someone lopped off the front and they kind of made it like a knight's visor, but instead of covering your face, it brings the brim up so that you can look through the viewfinder on your camera without being obstructed. And it, they're very rare. I'm looking on Top Pots, apparently made a, a run of them for a while, but I only know one person who has one, and he too recreated it. No. Yeah. I'm going to blow your all's mind for a second. It's going to mean absolutely nothing to anybody under the age of 28 or 35. I can load 35 millimeter in a load canister in less than 18 seconds. <laughs> I wasted eight semesters of high school taking black and white photography only to have it replaced by digital cameras. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Yeah, hey, we feel your pain, man. <laughs> My That's a good thing. Patrice is all film and digital. so Because you... Yeah. At events, I primarily do film, and Joe primarily does digital. But we we also go back and forth. We share in the digital and the in the film aspect. So my pat my like my dream after high school up till probably about two thousand three two thousand four is like I got to get me a overhead overhead. Uh, oh, damn, I even forgot the name of it now because it's been so long. Uh, the overhead not projector, but um. Larger? Yeah, overhead and larger. Get me the fix, the stop bath, the developer. Make me a dark room in my bathroom, and it's like, I th I literally I think I found one at the Goodwill about seven years ago, and the thing was beat. And I'm like, there's no reason to do it. And so, <laughs> I I've been doing IT work for 20 years, and for the last 18, I had about six or seven veterinarian clinics, and they're all moving to digital X-ray machines. But every once in a while, I'd walk into the old one and you would smell the developer fixing the stop bath from where they were manually still developing their x-rays. And that smell just brought me right back to that dark room in 1996. I'm like, wow, that's a smell you'll never forget. Never. 
we used to do lock-ins where in college and those were the nights man just hardly slept you know spent hours in the dark room just just working oh i miss those days so you could probably appreciate the fact that my freshman year my photography teacher gave us a 10 minute dissertation on the proper way to apply uh scott uh masking tape to the back of your cardboard when putting the mat on your photo <laughs> he literally gave us a 10 minute dissertation on the proper way to pop the glue bubbles to properly apply the mat so your photo doesn't slide in it. <laughs> uh, days of yore and so when did you guys end up meeting i know you, you touched on it briefly yeah, um, well, I mean, we knew of each other, like, in the area that we lived in. Um, we kind of shared some of the frequent watering holes, um, and we, we knew that we were we both did photography, but we really kind of met back up and started um, going to events and photographing them together around, like, 2018. Yeah. yeah. I think our, our first event we shot was uh, the Warbirds over Monroe. Okay. Yeah, I think that was what, 2018. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. How is the reenacting community in North Carolina? Is it big? Is it, is it dwindling a little bit? People aging out? Are you guys replenishing with young cats? Uh, I would say a little bit all all of the above. You know, it's it's uh it comes in waves. You know, like everything does. Sure. You know? And and it definitely helps when. Uh, certain you know, like movies are released or something like that. It gets, you know, when, when that's when the influx of new people kind of tend to show up and uh, you know, like when public interest is generated. Yeah. And then when it's not, it's the people that, you know, the community that's been there forever. So it's, you know, the people still have the passion. It's just, it's not the lack of passion. It's sometimes it's the lack of time. Yeah. And, as you get older, life happens and you just don't, you know, you still love it. You still love the people. It's just sometimes you just don't have time. And that's the truth. I worked in radio for about seven years and I was a producer of a talk show. And the that show, they're still on the air now. The two hosts have been working together in the same time slot since 1998, which is unheard of in terrestrial radio. But one of the hosts had a band for the longest time, played local shows, would open up for some of the bigger names. And their band broke up. And as he got older... Listeners would call him like, Mark, how come you're not in a band anymore? He's like, you ever try to get six 47-year-olds together to do something at one time when they all have kids, families, jobs, you know, obligations? It's next to impossible. And living history is kind of the same way because, sadly, due to the cost of entry, not that there's a cost of entry, but the cost of the uniforms, this is not a young man's game. And that's one of the frustrating things. I, I get why people say it, but on Facebook all the time, oh, these guys are too old. Well, that's because 16-year-olds can't afford it unless they have well-to-do parents. Yeah. And true. one of the guys, like my first impression was a Marine Corps impression. Total logistical mistake on my part. <laughs> when I put it together 10 years ago, there was nobody doing Marine Corps stuff. Um, but I found a group that was doing a local show. They did First ID. And the guy who ran that group, he's now with World War II Armor. His name is John Thompson. And one, he was a um, police detective at the time, and his son was in the hobby, and he was. And one of the things he did, which I thought was fantastic, and sadly, when he he closed down his division of uh, First ID and went to World War II Armor and focused on that, he actually, him and his crew would go do events at museums and other places and charge a, you know, a modest 
appearance fee, but he would take that money and buy uniforms and helmets and ammo. And then when we were at events and local kids, 16, 17, 18, showed interest, well, less 18, but more like 15, 16, 17, he would talk to their parents and like, hey, is this something, oh, your son's interested in World War II? Yes. And his whole thing was, is you show up, I'll outfit you because kids have a short attention span. And parents don't want to go drop them four grand on an outfit that they're not going to do six months from now. And you show up, I'll outfit you. And as you keep coming back, just slowly go online and buy a shirt. And the next time I'll provide the trousers, everything else, you wear your shirt. And then, and then people, the guys who fell into and loved it, they would slowly start buying stuff as they can afford it and stop using his stuff. And he would bring, he would bring young cats in that way. But, um, like down, down here in Florida, it's, it's been a little rough ever since 2020. Now you guys brought it up, and I I noticed it on your photos here in Florida. You know we got the, you know the airborne guys. We have the infantry guys. Um, I know one or two guys who do glider riders. And whenever I go up to Georgia for an event up in Lakeland, there's a couple of guys who show up there who do uh, British infantry. But you guys are talking about how you fell into a British group, and I've noticed that in your photos. That is awesome to see because you usually don't see that at events. It's usually Americans and Germans and maybe a couple of French partisans running around. The fact to see that you guys and your impressions are fantastic. I love to see that you guys are doing British Airborne and British Infantry and then your Navy impression, which you rarely see as well. What is your What led you guys to do those, I don't want to say unique, but less than you know mainstream impressions? Uh, well... It really started off just meeting this great group of guys that were just incredible. I mean, you were talking about guys that just kind of would buy kits or like pieces of kits or whatever and have these big, huge collections of stuff. And then they would just help all the younger kids kind of outfit themselves for a period of time. Sure. We have like five of those guys. That's fantastic. You know, all they do is like for years and years and years, they've been collecting all of this stuff. And when they find someone else that's interested in it, we have one um, guy in our unit that that could outfit you for about seven different impressions. Nice. It doesn't really matter, yeah. you know. Yeah. And um, I mean, I know for me, um, I'm like a total gearhead. I've been working on cars since I was like 16. And uh, I also love motorcycles. And, you know, I, I had about three until recently. But um the British thing was a lot easier to get into because it was a lot cheaper than a WLA. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I ended up finding a British motorcycle. And um, so we have a, a 1940 BSA. Nice. So that was, that was just a really awesome way for me as the female entity in the unit to uh, participate and kind of do the mechanics thing and just really get into it make it in have this kind of hands-on experience with it aside from just kind of being on the sidelines and doing like administrative stuff. Like a lot of the, the other female um, people do. I mean, like I know that that's important too, and it can be really fun. And we have other friends that do nur- nur- like nurse corps and things like that, um, that you can really get your hands into. But for me, I kind of always been one of the guys. So uh, I just wanted to, to get my hands dirty and turn some wrenches What's the shift pattern on a 1940s BSA? Is it one down, three up? How many gears is that? It is, um, so on an American bike, it's one down, three four, up. Three usually. or four up, yep. 
British bike, it is one up, three down. Sure, why not? I mean, they're all, they always do everything backwards anyhow. Everything's backwards, and it's on the other side. So. <laughs> and instead of putting it in neutral to turn the key, you got to put it in reverse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is no reverse. <laughs> might as well, right? Yeah, might as well. Joe, how tall are you? Uh, six one. Okay, you fall in my camp. It's next to effing and pop. I'm six five, and I've been to events where somebody will be getting rid of their hobby or closing down, and I've gone to warehouses where they have all original stuff. It's like there ain't a goddamn oh, thing in here that's yeah. gonna fit me. <laughs> it, it's it's hard. It's almost impossible. And, and I wear a forty two coat. Mm -hmm. It took me forever to find my class A's, and then. I know you're. I know you're feeling. I. I was at. I was the dickhead. Always had a, the the oh, USO shows with the class B with my M1 jacket from you know what price glory wherever I got. It. And finally, I I searched forever and ever. I finally found some guy got all the hobby on eBay and I got his Eisenhower jacket and it actually fit me. Nice. Of course, it it makes me have to keep my weight off because I'm the same, I'm six foot five and people are like just get double XL. It's like. Well, then it looks like a maternity shirt. I'm not big. I'm long. And so if you go yeah. 2X, even in modern day clothes, like, oh, just get a 2X t-shirt. I'm not pregnant. I don't need it to drape off me. I wish they'd just make things five inches, six inches longer, but they don't. And it's it's so frustrating. It's challenging. You know, that's why us tall guys, you know, there's only so many impressions we can do so fast because it takes so long to find, find the kit. We have um, an acronym for guys like you and me on the field. Yeah. FOS. First one shot. Because <laughs> we're so damn tall. You can see us from across the battlefield. Man, that that actually happened. Uh we were at an event here in North Carolina and uh I was in a wheat field taking some shots <laughs> and I came up real fast and an M one was pointed right at me, man. Oh my god. It was like from here to it was like ten feet away. And talk about trying to stop him real quick. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> Well, I see you proudly standing on the deck of a, ba a battleship wearing your uh, Victory Productions T-shirt and your Navy impression. How yeah. hard is it? I've I've done one. Well, I've done it three times. But in Tampa Bay, we have the uh, USS American Victory. It's a Liberty ship, and they go out and actually it's it actually goes and they'll take it out and tour the uh, Tampa Bay and they'll go and shoot blanks off it at Tampa and Ybor city. And they usually have six or seven reenactors on there. Cause they don't want to inundate the civilians who pay to be on there, but they want mm -hmm. them to have the feeling, but being six foot five, walking through a battle, uh, a Liberty ship from 1938, 1942. It is a head trauma waiting to happen. It's so tight. Oh my God. Yeah. That was actually my first event, uh, on the battleship. And, uh, I I'm just joined the uh, LHC, the Living History Crew, mm -hmm. and um, we do pretty much four to five events a year. But talking about going through those doors, oh my god, I came home with cuts all bruises all over my shins, and it, I didn't hit my head, but I hit my shins all the time. So, well, but. the thing you don't think about either is we we're walking around with our M1s on our shoulder. Yeah. And the barrel would constantly get snagged on bulkheads. So it's like I had to flip it upside down just so I wouldn't damage my barrel and then like kind of lower my shoulder, not to mention having a haversack on. I'm looking at another one of your photos. And the reason I'm bringing this up is Henry and I were discussing this on the YouTube video that we're shooting. We're talking about in the Pacific when they're loading up in the um, the landing craft. They look up and you see the, the naval officer in the window with the big helmet on. And I see you wearing a radio helmet. How big is that thing? And do you feel like Darth Helmet from Spaceballs when you wear it? 
<laughs> we have a video. Yeah. <laughs> they were, they, once I put that sucker on, man, everybody was making Lord Helmet comments. It was <laughs> <great>. <laughs> I'm surrounded by assholes. <laughs> How many assholes do we have here? Hey. But uh, it's it's pretty big. I mean, it, it you know comes out about that far, and it's big enough for you to put a headset on. How does the does that have a liner, or is the webbing just riveted to the inside of that thing? What's it, the it logistics is, of that thing? It's, uh, it's kind of cool. It's just pretty much three foam pads, and like they're right here, and then one goes right across, and then it has a little slot and two holes for your headset to go down in. Oh, cool. It's it's really cool, and it's very, very comfortable. It's actually really comfortable. I, I wore it for about an hour. Is that the same chin strap that's on the uh, Airborne helmet, or is it different? Yeah, pretty much the same. It's it's a little different at the top because it connects to two uh, leather leather bands up at the top, like through these little metal hooks. Yeah, I'm looking at the close-up of it now. Yeah, but the, the chin strap itself is, is pretty similar. Yeah. Now, the opposite of me and Joe, Patrice, I'm sure you have no problems at all fitting into original uniforms and probably have just the run of it when you come across them. Yeah, I would say about 90% of my kits are 100% original. You suck so bad. <laughs> but that's also because I'm like 5'2 and like pretty average size for a woman. Um, now, dresses and other like more feminine things are tough because they were just so small. Mm -hmm. I am not that small of a woman, but, um, but short, I'm short. <laughs> when, um, John, one time he gave me a museum clothes down, I gave him a bunch of uniforms and he knew I was in Marine Corps stuff. So he gave me an original Eisenhower jacket and trousers that were made in uh, Melbourne, Australia, I actually had Melbourne, Australia, but the things wouldn't fit me. They sat in my closet for like two years and, when I went out to Texas to the National Museum of Pacific War, I just donated them. them. I'm like, these things are just going to sit in my closet. I'd rather you guys do something with them because there's no way they would fit me. And it's, and it was a shame, but I happily gave it up. So when did you guys decide that um, let's take our photography? Let's, I mean, did you guys have you guys turned it into a company? You got an LLC and everything, or are you guys going down that route, or is it more of a hobby thing? Um, I mean, we definitely do a lot of freelance stuff. Um, we don't really have an LLC per se, but, um, I mean, we kind of carry it through and then I'm, uh, I'm actually, um, I am a web designer and a graphic designer and a photographer and everything else under the de designer umbrella, it seems like these days. So, um, I carry victory name through a lot of different designs that I do, you know, sure. whether it be digital designs or the photography or, you know, web or anything like that. So, um, I mean, for now, I think it's fine with just the amount of work that we get compensated for. We don't really need an LLC. Um, I mean, the, the overall goal, it would be nice, you know, at some point for this to become much bigger and this be something that we can kind of, um, do as our like main gig yeah. but for right now it's 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 a side gig and uh we're okay with that i mean yeah we have our daily nine to fives that we go to and um but you know just like i said being able to hang out with the guys and also kind of just 
be creative with the photography and the art. It's just, it's been awesome. Okay, Joe, I'm going to push in a corner for another 20 minutes. We're going to do 20 minutes on WordPress. (laughs) (laughs) iThemes, good thing or bad? (laughs) (laughs) And let's talk about why you don't want to change your domain name in your WordPress configuration file. Thanks, Mike. I got that fixed for you. (laughs) Have you guys decided, have you guys ever maybe thought about going from photography into video? maybe shooting videos and editing that, or is your passion strictly in still frame photography? We, we've actually just started trying video. Uh, the first, the Connie, the last Connie out this past year, we shot some footage. And so we're, we're kind of thinking about diving into that. That's on my bucket list. Believe it or not, from the age of second grade until 2001, I lived in Ohio, but I was not a reenactor and I never went there. And now I'm all the way down and, almost damn near the tip of florida and it's like i want to go so bad i'm hoping to go next year but it's like just to travel alone if i drove i'd have to take like an extra three days off of work just because of how far i am but i know that's everybody's great but hopefully next year i finally make it up there especially since world war ii armor is up there and everybody else i know from down here but that is one of my bucket list items oh yeah definitely being the 80th next year yeah that too yeah because you, you kind of be, between the big anniversaries, you kind of chase the dragon a little bit. Yeah. You know, like the seventy fifth was humongous, and then it seemed like onward. Then COVID happened, and then it just kind of the numbers started getting low. But next year is supposed to be huge. Well, as we said before, you got Band of Brothers. It's like number eight on Netflix. Pacific's number one, and then we got Masters of the Air coming out. I mean, you talk yeah. about a new interest in World War Two, and then. For whatever reason, they always do it in August, the hottest part of Ohio, but that's fine. So hopefully by August, I mean, you're probably going to see a whole new flood of uh, audience members, let alone new reenactors up there. Yeah. And and Patrice here, she did some designs for uh, the uh, Normandy anniversary over in France. Nice. We'll probably be going to that next year, too. Yeah, we might. We might, uh, we have a connection through a company that's actually doing the jumps. And, um, which one? Purple. Round Canopy? Uh, Arrow Limited. Okay. Um, so they're doing flights like from England over to Normandy and then doing jumps the whole time at some airspace outside of the, you know, outside of where the beaches are. And, um, they put a call out for some designs and, I thought I'd try my hand and they pick mine. So, um, well, I mean, that's where you kind of have the added value. Not only are you a photographer, not, or not only do you have the experience with the digital imaging, the filters and the Photoshop, but you're actively participating in the hobby. And every time you show up, your eye for detail and for, you know, authenticity just improves just like anything else. And so it would make sense not only to get somebody who's damn good at photography, but, is also in the hobby as well versus just some freelancer who is good at taking photos of everything under the sun. Yeah. Yeah. That was one aspect that our friend who is actually the head photographer, um, for that company, um, that he said, he was like, you know, you really paid attention to just like all of the details, um, where I think a designer that's maybe not as in tune with the history of it might not go that far. Um, and that's just, yeah, one of the things we kind of pride ourselves on is, um, you know, even when we shoot at big events like Conneaut, we we spend all that extra time taking out 
all of the stuff that isn't correct yeah. where most people won't do that. Um, now we do get a lot of comments about when is our photo going to go, uh, you know, and we're like, Hey, you know, like give us some time. Like we have real jobs also. So, um, but that's kind of part of it. It's just because like, you know, we don't want to put a, we don't want to put this representation out there that we don't feel like really encompasses all of the wet, like sweat and effort that these guys have put in also, because um, I mean, like you said, just, like the uniforms alone cost so much money. And then some of these guys are just so into it that, you know, they want to do everything exactly as authentic as they possibly can. And, uh, you know, why would we cut that short and yeah. leave yeah. a leave a cell phone in the yeah. photo or something yes. like that? Uh, there's been so like, I'll set up GoPros. I'll like hide them at events and I'll try to, for my YouTube channel or, you know, I've seen people who have great, photos and then there's always that one dickhead in the back got his iphone out full uniform we got us it's like dude stop, oh, yeah. stop. Or, or the uh, infamous line of porta johns in the background yeah or the or the you know the tesla in the back corner you know that there's an event coming up november it's in fort morgan alabama it's the um, 80th anniversary of tarawa and the beautiful thing about fort morgan is as it implies it's an actual fort and as it's from world war actually civil war ish um, they use it in World War One, but it's surrounded by a berm and it's on a peninsula. And it's one of the only events I've been to because it's surrounded by a berm, with the exception of the public restroom that's just brown brick out in the distance. All the cars and everything's parked on the other side of the berms. And so and the uniform standards are super strict. And when I and when I was there for Peleliu and Tarawa, Peleliu actually got the right of landing craft, so that was awesome. Nice. Um, but you wake up in the morning and you look around and it's nothing but authentic tents. Guys in the uniforms, you don't see the cars, you don't have the hot dog vendor blaring EDM music in the corner, none of that. It's all just sounds, and you hear the flapping of the tents, the you know people's equipment banging on them, and it's like the most authentic thing because the way the layout is, you can actually go without seeing cars all weekend long. It's great, yeah. and it's yeah. so few and far between. Patrice, let me ask you this. Um, maybe it doesn't affect you so much because your friends, your uh, social circle, probably are like-minded when it comes to the arts. But I see nowadays it's probably easier for younger cats to get involved because they grew up with, um, <laughs> I blame everything on the Big Bang Theory, everything from skinny jeans to multicolored vans of people who've never stepped foot on skateboard wear, but that's besides the point. Um, because they popularized and made it acceptable for people to participate in Comic-Con, the idea of wearing silly uniforms on the weekend for younger cats isn't that far stretched. For people like us, Gen, you know, Gen Xers, people who grew up in the seventies and eighties, and for our counterpart, I remember like ten years ago when I got started, people were like, "You dress up and do what on the weekends?" So do do people you know kind of look at you like, "What are you guys doing on the weekend?" Or are they just kind of, "Oh, that's cool, accept it, and you don't worry too much about it." Well. Joe makes it pretty well known that that's what we're going to be doing on the weekend. So uh, usually I just go along with uh, whatever he has to say about it. But yeah, I mean, you know, from time to time we get that, that reaction, like, uh, so you're going to do this now you're going to, and you just kind of explain it. And a lot of times I, I throw in just this aspect of, um, you know, the experience is kind of everything. Mm -hmm. I'm like a flow kind of person. I can have fun doing whatever, whatever you want to do. Um, 
So, you know, why not? Like, why not go out and ride on a tank? Why not go out and shoot a 50 cal? Why not go out and ride in World War II Jeeps and motorcycles and things like that? Um, And some people get it, some people don't. uh, But I will say that when we bring the photographs back and we show them, they're always impressed and they're always kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't know you were doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So isn't it, it am, isn't it amazing the access a reproduction uniform affords you? I've done so much shit that I never thought I'd ever do simply because I'm in living history. Oh God, yeah. You I go mean, to air show in a civilian uniform, stay off the flight line. You show up in a World War II uniform. Come take a picture next to my tank in my plane. It's like okay, or come r- sit on my tank. You're wearing a t-shirt and a pair of Nikes. Don't get on the tank, please. But we get to do so much cool shit because of World War II reenacting. Oh, we, we had the honor of uh, doing a whole photo shoot in the movie Memphis Bell at an air show. And it, w- it was it would have been impossible if we weren't, you know, part of the community. We'll have to trade but, photos. I got to do the same thing. I don't I don't have an Air Corps impression, but we're talking about the generosity of our community. Um, the Florida Flyboys contacted me and said, hey, um, are you coming to Sun and Fun? I'm like, yeah, like the Florida uh, the the movie Memphis Bell is going to be here. We're going to do a photo shoot. Do you want to participate? I'm like, I don't have one. I'm actually had a, a flight uniform. I said, okay, here's the deal. I'm six foot five. I only do it if I get to be the ball turret gunner. <laughs> 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 but we were out there, um, did the whole photo shoot middle of August, Florida, got a Jeep ride out there. Jeep took off, had about a two mile hike back with all of our stuff. I got heat exhaustion from wearing the leather jacket, the flight suit, the whole thing. But the oh, photos came out effing fantastic, and I would love to see your alls. And I'll have, we'll have to trade photos off the air of our uh, air our air core impressions for the uh, the um, movie Memphis Bell. Oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> and I got to get in the ball trip. <laughs> I didn't get yes. in it, but we did shoot a photo where it looked like they're dragging me out of it. Yeah, yeah, we have that photo too. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Like when you see those those planes and the ball turret gunner and all the helmets, you're like, Oh, this is where half the ideas came for, for the original star Wars. <laughs> it's like so <laughs> much of that just relays over. Yeah. Yep. And the fact that, uh, the tie fighter sound is, uh, actually a Stuka. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I found that, I found that out the other day. I was like, yeah, you know what? It's yeah, there it is. <laughs> if you watch, do you guys have, um, Disney plus? No, we don't. They remade the. Remember the movie from the eighties, the right stuff. Yeah, they remade it as a TV series and was produced by Leonardo DiCaprio. And before that came out, they were producing uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel for I think Netflix or Hulu, one of those. And through a reenacting community, someone said, "Hey, they're shooting Marvelous Mrs. Maisel in Miami. They're looking for extras who can wear fifties outfits. Go sign up at this casting agency." Why signed up? Nothing came of it. Two years later, I get a casting request for the right stuff. Went up, showed up. Long story short, too old to be a pilot, but I was in two episodes. I was in episode one as a naval officer, and prominently in the background, you can see me smoking between the two principal actors. There me in the background smoking and talking. And when I showed up that day, you know, he had all these background extras, and they put me in my naval uniform, and I got my hair combed just right. And the uh, second AD came through. He's introducing himself, and he, he looked at me, he's like, do you serve? I'm like, no, I'm a World War II reenactor. This is what I do. I make uniforms look good. He's like, that's a thing? 
I was like, oh, yeah. He's like, I'm interested in that. I'll, I'll come back later and find you. I'm like, okay, that's just a director just trying to be nice to the extra. Lo and behold, two hours later, he came back and sat down with me, and we discussed it for like 10, 15 minutes. He's like, I like you. I want to have you back. Episode five, I'm a NASA employee at the uh, 1959 New Year's Eve party that we shot in Orlando over three days. That is the only time I've ever had a custom tailored suit to me. I had to show up at Universal Studios, get outfitted, wardrobe lady was pissed i walked in there she goes you're too tall she gets on the phone i told you we have enough tall people blah 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 blah. don't worry we're gonna measure you but you're the last one i showed up for a shoot day they had a three-piece ralph lauren suit 1950s theme for me i wish i could have kept that goddamn thing but yeah it was it was just funny to see how upset she was that she here comes another tall one but in that scene on that scene it's new year's eve and they have the um the band up on stage, she's doing a countdown, and then they do a wide shot of the audience, and there's my head <laughs> two feet higher than everybody else in the audience, so you can see me perfectly in that. But once again, that all came from World War II reenacting. If I would have never gotten this hobby, that would have never happened either. And oh, so definitely. it's, and like you said, riding tanks, getting a ride around battleships, none of that. We would not have been afforded to do any of that if it wasn't for this hobby. Nah, it's kind of like the universe giving back. We're very grateful for it. Everyone we've met in this community is amazing. Joe, looking at your photos, you look like you kind of treat this hobby as I do, speaking of acting. I treat living history events as an acting gig. Look, I'm 45. I've been going gray since I was 19. But if I'm going to wear the uniform, spend all the money on it, I'm going to shave and I'm going to dye my hair so that when you're looking at me from 30 yards away, I might look a late 20s, mid 30s instead of being the guy out there with the white gray hair. And it surprises me the amount of people who put the emphasis in the investment in their uniform and they show up with the five o'clock shadow they put on the generic gas station ray-bans and they got their fitbit on their arm it's like what are you doing are we here to do this or aren't we and i know like you know you depend on your impression you might have a mustache you might not and you kind of seem to treat it the same way like it's just hair it'll grow back yeah i mean it did kill me a little bit uh to shave that sucker off because it took a while to grow but that was the whole point of growing it. Once I found out that the impression I was doing, it would add more to it because I grew it. I was a, uh, I want to still am a um, British war correspondent. Mm -hmm. and they were allowed to grow those honking mustaches. And I was like, you know, that might look pretty cool. You yep. know? And so I did it, and it just added on to the impression and, and this uh, doing the, the battleship, they didn't allow it. So I was like, I really want to do this. So, you know, off it came. You know, but unfortunately, I did find a photo a couple of days later <laughs> of a crew member of the USS North Carolina that had a bigger mustache than I did. So I could have gotten away with it. You know, isn't it <laughs> funny how this hobby kind of creeps into our daily lives? Oh, yeah. My co-host Jeff walks around the Clark Gable mustache on a daily basis just because oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my, my brother wears hobnails every day. You know, but he also works for all the sites in North Carolina. So, I mean, that's part of his daily wear. He wears, you know, pinky blinder suits every day. But, you know, he, he pulls it off. That's who he is, you know. It's funny to say that. I have two pinky blinder hats I'll wear, even though I'm here in Florida. Um, since I'm in Florida, I don't have a big I don't have a big park or anything. But every once in a while, it'll get down to 30s or in 40s at night. So I'll just pull out my M41 or I'll put on if it's raining outside and i don't want to get wet i'll just put on one of my hpt jackets the time it gets soaked through them in my car 
Um, yeah. I'll wear my jump boots or my um, service boots every once in a while. Hell, I think two weeks ago I wore my P41 pants just because it's like they're just sage green pants. They look cool. Wear a mm-hmm. pair of Chuck Taylors and off we go. But it might as well. I mean, we got this. <laughs> we got the stuff laying around. I'll just wear it. Yeah, and, and most of it has to look worn anyway. So you know, why not wear your M41 to the grocery store? Good, good question. Let's let's talk about that. Where do you guys feel about artificially weathering your uniforms? Uh, well, some of the original stuff that Patrice has gotten and I've gotten, they it's already come to us just you know nasty. Sure. So when we do kind of wash it, you know, it's still it's worn. But with our newer stuff, you know, we just we get it dirty as we go. You know, because uh, they were issued uniforms and that's how they got dirty and. You know, you just don't wash your shirt a couple of times or you do wash it a couple of times, depending on where you got it. And it's going to fall, you know, get, you know, a little, you know, distressed. <laughs> I fall in the same camp. I, I hear these guys. Oh, I just bought a, a new paratrooper jacket. I got my garden hose out and dug up the grass, and made a mud pit and threw it in there for two days. It's like, why? <laughs> just one, one, the stains, the stains don't fall in the right spot, right? When you're wearing it, the stains have to fall in the right spot. And two... When these guys in the front line are getting a clean uniform, you think they're rolling around in the mud to get it dirty? No, yeah. just wear it naturally, and the dirt will dig in the same spot. And one thing I learned from my reenactors who do World War II, and they told me this is like, I'm sorry, they do Civil War. Don't wash, obviously, especially with wool, don't wash your uniform. And if it starts to smell, just put it in a Ziploc bag, put it in the freezer. It'll kill all the bacteria. You'll get it out, and it smells fine. And so yeah. I actually found a plastic mannequin bust at an antique store that has a um, stand. And so after the event, I'll just put my uniform on that, put it out in the garage, and let it air dry for a few days, and it doesn't smell. I've never, in 10 years, I've never washed. I've only washed my uniform one time, and that's when I was doing a tactical event at a cow farm. And cows tend to leave things on the ground, and so I didn't want my uniform, you know, that sticking around. But other than that, I don't wash them. I just let the dirt dig in naturally, and it, it looks better in the long run. Yeah, pretty much the only thing we wash is like the the shirts. Yeah, you know? but that we you know you also wear that with the class days, and the, you also wear it with uh, you know your your um, your British dress uniform. God, I can't remember. <laughs> anyway. I don't know which one. Sorry. Yeah, the uh, field dress. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like the battle dress. Battle dress. My bad. Is there any events coming up that you guys are looking forward to in North Carolina? Or uh, let me back up a little bit. Is, is your hobby similar to ours, where you kind of flip flop, or you guys do more stuff in the wintertime because of the temperature versus the summer, or do you guys have more events in the summertime? We have. There's events pretty much all year long up here, or at least somewhat close. I mean. We travel quite a bit. Um, we haven't really gone further down south for events, but we're always going more up north for events. Um, we do have some events that are close by uh, within like a couple of hours of us that are a couple of times a year um, in what's I'd say like, you know, one in one season and one maybe in another Um I don't know. Um, we don't really have a whole lot coming up. Uh, the big air show that we normally go to, some things have just changed this year. It just doesn't seem as appealing. Um, there's not going to be as much living history, it sounds like. So, you know, we might opt out of that one. Mm-hmm. But um, but if we find another one, yeah. you know, we'll go to that. And, yeah. and parade 
season's coming up, so we got some parades to do. <laughs> there you like go. Christmas and stuff like that, Thanksgiving. That's when the motorcycle really comes in handy. Yeah, I haven't gotten to ride it in the parade because it's so much stop and go, and it really just doesn't lend itself. I mean, it's sure. age and everything. But uh, I think we might trailer it, kind of decorate it with uh, some Christmas lights and things like that. Everybody really likes to just see the stuff, you know, see it out on the road. And um, we've been fortunate enough to find some veterans to be in our part of the parades a lot of times too. So it kind of just brings some appreciation and some um, exposure to them and like, you know, their service and everything. So we're always happy to do that. Have you thought about or looked into joining a local chapter of the military vehicle preservation society due to your motorcycle? I am not, I'm not really familiar with um, a group like that near us. Um, we just, we are fortunate enough to know about like, like 12 different people with Jeeps. So I'm sure we got enough guys together. We could figure out where the closest one is and uh, join that. But um, we do have some connections with some people that uh, have a lot of antique vehicles like up and around Gettysburg um, in that area. Um, there's some big museums and stuff up there for uh, like the Wheels of Liberation. Um, and so, um, me and another friend, Jay, uh, we both have British bikes and she's also ATS, which is British. Um, so it's kind of cool to have another chick riding around on motorcycles with you. Yeah. It's, I don't want to say it's uncommon, but there's definitely less female reenactors involved in the hobby. I'm starting to see more and more, but it's nice to, hear someone who has the passion and to hear that there's, you know, you have one or two other females who are getting into it and maintaining that and spreading the word. So I love to see that. Definitely. Um, I mean, I tell even some other friends of mine like that they should come out and experience it at least once. Yeah. It's really just fun. And uh, it's just, it's really exciting. Even my mom came out and was just blown away. And she's like, I had no idea this is what you guys do. Yeah. So, uh, you know, well, I hope that more people can come out and uh, give it a try. Well, there's something about, you know, just re- whether it's World War II, whether it's car hobby, whether you're doing a flying air show, whether you're, you know, into what have you, bowling, whatever. Whenever you have the ability to spend a couple of days with a large semi-large group of like-minded people where you're just talking about one particular topic and the passion you guys have for it. There is no feeling like it. No. No. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And the, and the cool thing about the, the history community is when you're at an event and you're sitting around a campfire and you're all wearing uniforms and you're all talking about history and you're all just, you know, having a good time and the event comes to an end and everybody takes their uniform off. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. How weird is it? Like, I've known you for 10 years, and then the first time you see them in civilian clothes, you're like, oh, that's your choice, huh? It's so yeah. weird to see people out of their uniforms. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really – it's gotten to the point sometimes where it's just like I don't even recognize someone mm-hmm. because their uniform. And it's just it's like, like oh, oh, hey. I never pictured you as a New Balance guy, but good, good for you. Yeah, white Skechers, eh? <laughs> <laughs> that's 
And then you see guys like oh, Chuck Taylor's. Uh, that makes per- per- yeah, but it's so weird, especially like you know, because a lot of times due to my travel, how far south I live, I I'm a big fan of the Irish farewell. I'll I'll say bye to one or two of my close friends, and then I just kind of boogie out, or I'll say bye to everybody like when we're done doing the last public thing, and then I'll just kind of quietly go off and pack up my stuff and leave. So I very seldomly see people in their civilian clothes, but it's so it's just so bizarre, especially after eight nine years of seeing somebody wearing the uniform. It's like, huh? It's like Twilight Zone. It's just weird. I, there's no way to explain it to people. It's just yeah. it's goofy. <laughs> But it's fun, and you still love them anyway. Yeah. Well, and that's my other favorite thing about the hobbies. It's like it's the only time it's acceptable for your friends and family to know that they're at the event this weekend. They're not going to return text. They're not going to be on their phone. So we'll just have to wait three days to communicate with them. It's so nice just to be able to unplug with the limited, you know, obviously we pull out our phones long enough to take a photo. I do see younger cats in the camps on, on, you know, TikTok and all that, which drives me nuts. It's like just do that show when you get home you know enjoy the the fire and the you know the ambiance and unplug yeah. it and just relax yeah and that's that's yeah you're right I, that's one major thing i really love about this this whole scene and community that when you are in an event you're you're especially if you just you're at an event and you just take everything down and just focus on what you're doing and you have some of the best times you know, and some of the best memories come out of those. And it's, it's, it's amazing. That's how I got to drink black coffee on a daily basis. I was yeah. a cream and sugar guy until I started World War II reenacting. But when you're sleeping on the ground in an 80-year-old tent for three hours, if you're lucky to sleep that long because you're, you're laying on that root, you wake up and somebody offers you coffee. The last thing you're going to do is say, hey, you don't have any coffee and cream? Now I just drink my coffee black all the time. Yep. Yep. Same here. It just has a huge impact. So do you guys have any new impressions you're looking to build? Are you going to expand on your existing ones? What's your future looking like in that realm? Uh, I'm just working on more uh, Navy impressions. Um, just trying to get my whites and my blues. And um, that's probably about it for, for now, you know. But uh, I'm sure something will come up. Yeah. Something unique will come up. Uh I mean, I think if I could just work on restoring the bike a little bit more, um, but I like, like I said before, I kind of like to focus on the female aspect. I mean, I know that from time to time, the guys have asked me to kid out like a guy. Sure. Um, And I always get mixed reactions from it, but personally, like those women were so badass. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, dress like a guy like i could just dress up like them and uh you know base my impressions on them because like they were just as cool and did just as much um but you know it's fun to to be there for the guys and 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 lend a hand and kind of support what they're doing too and i'm like i said i'm always up for it i'm always up to to just do whatever go with the flow so um i don't really have any other female impressions um i might put on a nurse outfit and do the navy ship with the guys i'm trying to figure out a way to get the motorcycle on the navy ship but (laughs) i don't think the brits are really near that ship very often well two things one i can understand like if you guys are at an event and there's gonna be a public battle 
and the numbers are kind of low, put on the uniform 30 yards away, they're not going to know. And you're just an extra body in the field to help make the event look more full. Um, The downside of working on a BSA motorcycle in America is you probably got to pay out the ass for shipping and handling on some of the parts you order because I doubt you find a lot of BSA parts just floating around North Carolina or the East Coast of the United States, right? Got to probably import most of that stuff. Luckily, I haven't really needed to find very many parts. Um, And what I have gotten for the bike, I mean, I've been able to get pretty easily. Um, We found it here in the States, and it was already running and everything. So um, we're kind of just maintaining it for now. I'm a little reluctant to like really tear it down and get into it because then I'm sure I'll need more parts. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, we have a lot of resources. Uh, like we have a couple of guys that own British Jeeps and then we know some friends that work on motorcycles and things like that in the hobby as well. So uh, hopefully, you know, it'll go pretty smoothly, but um, for right now, I think, you know, just keeping it kind of original, it, um, it's really cool, just as it is. It's got that patina. It's it's interesting heritage too, because BSA, as you know, stands for British Small Arms. It's just crazy to think of a. Usually, it's the other way around. It's like okay, we manufacture motorcycles now at wartime. We need to regear to make weapons, but they kind of went the other way. <laughs> They're already making weapons now. We're making motorcycles to to outfit the uh, the effort. Actually, that goes back. They started producing them what shortly? Yeah. So British Small Arms were producing firearms during World War One, and then right around World War II is when they started doing the motorcycles. Is that roughly correct? I think so. Um, I, th- I do know that that was like the the BSA that I had, the WM20, was like the most widely produced motorcycle for the war effort. So, And I have documentation that mine was like specifically built for the war effort and sent to the War Department in London. So... We can trace that back based on the uh, the serial number that's like stamped into the frame. Do you guys? Well, let me ask you this: Everybody has the white whale. What's the one thing, Joe, that you're looking for to add to your personal collection? Whether you use it for a display or just something you want to hang up in your room that all your other your relics are hanging out in. Oh man, jeez. Uh, that's a good question. You know, I've, um, well, maybe an IMO right now. Like, uh, you're leaning them off camera. Lean to your right a little bit. Your head's off camera. There you oh. go. Yeah, my bad. No worries. <laughs> no, probably an IMO. Uh, that's probably the main thing I would love to have right now. What's an IMO? Is that a camera? Uh, it's a 35 millimeter camera that, uh, pretty much all, um, uh, combat photographers would use and the AFPU, the British uh, army film and photographic units would use. Um, we do have a uh, 1929 Debray lunchbox camera. Uh, I think I we... saw that one of your photos. Oh yeah. So we have those and they were used heavily by the AFPU before they started using IMOs and uh, IMO was made by Bell and Howe and the Debrays were uh, made by DeVray out of Chicago. So it was all stateside production. But yeah. Um, are those hard to track down now or are they just got ridiculous price points on them? Uh, the DeVrays? No, the uh, IMOs. Oh, the IMOs? Uh, you can get, you can find some on eBay, but yeah, they're, they're pretty pricey. And, um, oh, and the, the T14 helmet. 
Yes. I'd love to have one of those. The old T14. <laughs> I finally got me. It could have been restored. I don't know. It, the paint wasn't restored, but I actually got me a debailed front seat and helmet from my early Marine Corps impression. And then I got me, I finally got a, um, a airborne fixed bail, square bail, um, rigger helmet for my airborne impression. And so every, nice. like when I first started, I would just buy helmets that I could. And now every time I find a front seam, I just put one of my rear seams on eBay and get it out of my inventory because I have no use for it. But yeah, so now I have, and I got me one of those, what I refer to as the Hollywood Holly liners, the plastic ones that they're making for early Marine Corps impressions. So I picked one of those up, which I put in my fixed bail helmet. And then I actually have a Holly Company pith helmet I found. And so that's pretty cool. I, uh, I got a, Patrice, let me ask you, what's your white whale before I get into my weird little collection here? What's the one thing you're looking for? I'm not sure. Um, probably just some other vehicle. (laughs) (laughs) She goes big. Yeah. Joe wants a camera. You're looking, you're looking for a half track to put in the garage. Go, go big or go home, right? There you go. I don't know. Obviously, M1 helmets are a thing, but I I got a weird thing for canteens. I got, like, every time I find a new style of canteen that I don't have, I, I pick it up. I got two ceramic canteens with the black porcelain ones, and, like, I just find all these little weird canteens. Actually, I took a deep dive on one of my canteens, and I found the company that manufactured it, and then I went on eBay and actually found a postcard of the manufacturing plant that made the canteen and have it in the collection. So when I show people, here's this canteen that's made in Chillicothe, Ohio, which happened to be where my aunt and uncle were school teachers, um, I actually have a postcard of it too, which is pretty crazy. But it's just weird how the hobby affects people. Like you have that one guy who just – is obsessed with the E8 telephones and will have like six telephones. And you have the M1 helmet guy, the canteen guy. Then you have the, the field typewriter guy has 30 typewriters. It's just so weird how some innocuous thing from that time just grabs onto people and they just got to have as many of those things they can find. Oh yeah. We're constantly finding stuff and we're adding to our collections. Um, I mean, we have cabinets full of stuff right behind us here that, uh, And it's wild that you'll just be somewhere and all of a sudden this thing that like you never thought that you would ever come across just pops up out of nowhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That feeling is amazing. Oh my God. Okay. So how long there's this one thing that I've been in search for forever, actually it was a world war two wash station or a period wash station Okay. where you just kind of hang your towel and you, you have the porcelain bowl and everything. And I've seen some photos of them made out of like K rations and stuff, but always wanted kind of like a nice one, like a film. Sure. And never thought we would run into one at all. And we were walking down the street one day and found it. This old woman was throwing one out. And it was just (laughs) perfect. You just have to replace two little rods and it was perfect. And when things like, like when you find things at an antique mall, it's a completely, it's similar feeling, but it's. They're marked up and everything else. And yeah. But this was like old lady didn't want it. Put it on the put it on the sidewalk, and boom, it's gonna be in camp next time. <laughs> I found one on. I found a Footlocker on Facebook Marketplace. Guy was selling it. His neighbor was throwing it out. The sad thing is, it sat in their garage for so long that um, Carpenter Ants got a hold of it. So a lot of it's hollow. And I'm thinking, well, and I have two of them now, so it's not a big deal. But yeah, there's times. I remember I was walking through an antique store one time. And I saw this weird little kit. I opened it up and had little hooks and fishing string and 
turned out it was a pilot survival kit for when they had to eject out of the airplane. It had the mirror in it and all the different utensils. I didn't pick it up at the time. I wish I would have. But um, I've come across ammo cans like that. Um, I forget the the uh, model number is. I found this, this weird ammo can. It was fire. It was kind of like a brick orange, and it had two locking mechanisms. I think it was a T two. I discovered. Never seen one. Picked it up. Bought it. Did some research. It was limited edition, meaning they made hundreds of thousands of them. <laughs> but because they had the locking clamps, the metal locking clamps on the end, I think they discontinued them because they found out that the locking clamps tend to rust or get gummed up, and then you can't get the damn lid off because it's on both sides. But it's very cool. It's factory red, and so I have one of those. And there's a, a few other items that I've just stumbled across. But, yeah, there's something about finding stuff that the sellers don't know what they have. And not that you're taking advantage of them. There's been times I've come across like haversacks and musette bags, which I don't need, but I've seen them in antique stores or at flea markets. They're like cheaper than reproductions. And so I'll pick them up, take them home, compare to one of my collection, and then just take them to an event and offload them. I don't mark them up or anything, but I offload them, make them available to some people who need one that don't have the amount of antique stores that I have and just kind of pass it on to someone else who may be looking for one just because the price is right. It's like this thing's an original 42 boy and it's cheaper than a reproduction from, you know, what price glory. I don't need it, but someone else might. And I just here, I'll add five bucks to it for my driving it four hours in my car. But other than that here, let me help you build your impression. Yeah. Right on. Where do you guys see before we wrap up? Where do you guys see the hobby going? Do you think it's going to boom? Hopefully with the new interest in shows or, do you think it's going to stay stagnant for a while? Or how do you guys feel about the way things are going? Well, hopefully with the, the, the new shows coming out, it'll, it'll create a buzz. But I'm, we definitely need some new recruits. Yeah. You know, we're not getting any, any younger. Nope. So uh, to keep this hobby alive, we, we still just need to keep educating the public and getting more people interested. And, you know, that's all we can do. Yeah. We're doing we're trying to do our part in that and just kind of like, you know, spread the images yeah. and uh and the experiences. And that's the main thing we try to do with Victory is just, you know, expose and document, you know, and represent what these this generation did and what you know what they did for all of us. And you guys do a fantastic job of it. I love the photos. Um and they're wonderful. Before we wrap it up, where can people find you on social media? Facebook, Instagram? Yeah, uh, you can go to our website at www.vforvictory.us. And then and then we're also on uh, Instagram at V for Victory Productions and on Facebook at V for Victory Productions. And as always, we will include all the links along with the photographs and on the download page of our WTSPWorldWar2.com. And while you guys are heading over to WTSPWorldWar2.com to see all the photos of, of Patrice and Joe, um, head on over to the Patreon link. Click on that. Sign up and subscribe. We have three tiers. One of them is a dollar a month. The other one's $2 a month. The other one's 3 I'm sorry, $750. And if you buy the $750 a month plan, you'll get a free t-shirt after month two. But even if you only sign up for the first tier at a dollar a month, we are giving away at the end of November a beautiful print 
of um, the Pacific Landing, which you can see photos on our Facebook page. Um, we're going to be giving away another one as well from Valor Studios. This one's donated by Henry Sledge himself. So head on over to WTSPWorldWar2.com. Click on the Patreon link, sign up and subscribe. And while you're there, also click on the YouTube channel so you guys can join us each week as we stream live. And um, we want to thank each and every one of you. And we will be back with Jeff next week. And as I said before, that episode with Henry Sledge on Henry's reaction to HBO's The Pacific will be coming up. Thank you guys for hanging out, and we will talk to you all later. This has been a Digital 410 production. <laughs>